Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today is a little bit of an experiment. I want to talk to you about a day in the life of an entrepreneur. I think everybody has misconceptions about what entrepreneurs are. And to be fair, there's lots of different kinds of entrepreneurs. There's entrepreneurs who stay focused on one thing, like Sam Walton, the guy who started Walmart, he was obsessed with retail. Like I would always hear these stories about how he would go into competitor stores. He was just obsessed with every single detail of retail. So he, he, he was really passionately interested in one thing and that's what he was the entrepreneur about. And that's why the Walton family as a group is probably the richest family in America, piggybacking off of his obsession. But a lot of entrepreneurs, I would say the average entrepreneur is not focused and does many different things. And there are reasons for that, but I'll give you some examples. Richard Branson right now, he's got over 300 different businesses. I think there are 300 different businesses with the Virgin name on it. Everything from clothing to music to, of course, the airline, which he sold. And then I think it just went bankrupt to all sorts of Virgin Galactic all sorts of things. So it's everything from like clothes to spaceships. Elon Musk, of course there's Tesla, but then there's Neuralink, which is he wants to put a chip in the brain. Then there's Hyperloop. He wants fast transportation from San Francisco to LA. And then there's Solar City, which Tesla bought, which is all about solar power. So, you know, and Mark Cuban, of course he's got the Dallas Mavericks. He's got you know, movie companies, movie theater companies. He's invested in uh, another couple hundred companies through Shark Tank. And I think that's the nature of being an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs have more questions than answers. So they ask, well, what happens if I put a chip in the brain? And somebody then thinks, could the chip do a search on Google and then trigger the right neurons to have search results? Can I make an anti-gravity suit using magnets and blah, blah, blah. I don't know. So again, you always want to, in my very first successful company, it was a company called Reset. I always say the company made websites, but to be honest, we didn't really know what was the best thing for us to do. I was scared of just being in one business. What if there was a recession and nobody hired us to make a website? So we were constantly constantly trying to figure out other things to do. I'll give you some examples. At one point we figured, let's try starting a record label. And we actually heard a song from some, you know, startup rap group in New Hampshire. And we called them and, and tried to convince them to sign up for our record label. And they quite correctly said, no way. We'll see you later. And I'd like to be able to say, and then they became the Wu-Tang Clan but that's not what happened. I never heard of that group again. So maybe they should have signed with us. Then there was another time we experimented with setting up a tea company. So all of us, including me, went home and bought ingredients to make different teas, like fruit teas or healthy teas or whatever. And we all brought them in, our the, the tea that we made into the office. Like, and we tried to make a good, none of the teas tasted good. Like our employees almost vomited several times trying this tea, 
but this was a valid business idea we were trying to do. So my, my company was called Reset. And again, the way we did make money was building websites for you know, record labels, movie studios, American Express, and so on. But for the heck of it, we tried to make a tea company. And you could have said, well, that's very unfocused. You know, why'd you do that? And yeah, we were unfocused, but who knows? Who knows what could have worked out? Another time we were thinking of making a website that kept track of agents and all the uh, clients those agents had. So if you wanted to, I don't know, if you were a movie studio and you wanted to contact an actor or you were a reporter and you wanted to contact an actor, here's the database of agents and actors and you would have to pay a subscription fee. So that was another thing. Another time we pitched TV show ideas to MTV. Like we were constantly, almost every day, trying to come up with new ideas for businesses. We were thinking of being an ad agency. We were thinking of being a software company. And so in the end, of course, we were a services business. That probably wasn't the best choice, to be honest, for a lot of reasons that I've described in other podcasts, but we probably should have been a software product business, but I just didn't know what I was doing then. I had the software skills and even the I developed products to help me make websites, but I didn't really understand what it meant to be a product business. I didn't understand, oh, you raise money from venture capitalists and this is what a deal looks like. So I figured, you know what? I'm gonna be profitable and be a service business. So that's what we were. And even then we weren't that focused. Sometimes we did you know, record labels. Sometimes we did utility companies like Con Edison. Sometimes we did software. Sometimes we did design. Sometimes we did logos. Sometimes blah, blah, blah. We did all sorts of things. So, and then later in the OOs, I started a hedge fund, but I also started a website business called Stock Picker. I helped out a mental rehab facility and made some money on that. I did all sorts. I, I was a writer. I was trying to uh, work for various hedge funds. I always got nervous if I was too dependent on any one idea. That doesn't mean start five businesses, although it can. It might mean with your one business, make sure you have, you diversify so that if there's a downturn in the economy or a downturn in your industry, you still have sources of income. Or, you know, make sure that your source of income is somewhat economy independent. Like I'm invested in one company. It's called Outstanding Foods. They make vegan, sort of like vegan chips. And it is so good. They, it's like bacon flavored vegan chips and it tastes like bacon. And I, I've been invested in it for years. In the past year or so, they released their first product. It's so good. I constantly order it. The great thing about this company, what I like the best is you could find their chips, not in the vegan section of the store, but in the actual snack section. Like I hate buying snacks in the vegan section. So I really liked it that they ended up in the vegan section. So anyway, they're very focused. The chef loves cooking good tasting vegan food. He was the chef for Beyond Meats before this. And the CEO has been a vegan since he was like nine years old. So I know they're dedicated. This is their, like their life stream is to, is to do this. Me, I am interested in many things. I can't help it. And if I do just one thing in a day, sometimes I feel a little anxious. So I say all this to describe a day in the life. And to be honest, I make a lot of mistakes. As you know, I kind of document my mistakes brutally. But I think even right now, a couple things have been happening. First, I think I've bitten off more than I can chew. I think I've taken on too many projects and activities, and I'm trying to figure out which one makes me nervous. And I'll tell you how I decide these things uh, when I describe this day. The other thing is, of course, we've gone through this lockdown and this has changed my daily activity quite a bit. I have no real meetings outside the house anymore. I haven't since, since March. I don't do some of the things that I was doing on a regular basis. Like I don't go out to comedy clubs and perform or visit or whatever. Pretty much, I don't go to any networking dinners or any dinners at all, really. I just kind of stay here and work all day and spend time with my family and then go back to work and go back and forth. But then when I say work, I want to make sure I'm 
somewhat enjoying everything. Enjoyment is not a criteria. Like I know Warren Buffett says he never goes to work because he dances to work every day, like or something like that. You know, sometimes work is difficult, but it should it should never be something you hate doing. And if your work is something you hate doing, that's a good sign. Like if it gives you unbearable anxiety, that's a good sign that you don't have to quit it tomorrow, but every day move 1% further from that idea or project. Like I remember in, in 2015, something like that, I was my goal, I, start, I started the year January 1st, I, was, I said, I'm gonna write a novel this year. And things change. I, uh, February of that year, I did stand-up comedy for the first time, it was over five years ago, and I got obsessed, and that became my extra project. I no longer had time to write a novel. And I still, you'll see it's on my list right now today, but we'll see what happens anyway. And, and by the way, I am sharing this again to show you not that I'm so great or productive or entrepreneurial. In fact, a lot of things you might say, Oh, that's a waste of time. I would never do that, but just everybody's different. And this is the kind of things I do. People ask me all the time, how are you productive in the specific way you're productive? And, you know, I'm hoping this will shed some light on that. And I'll kind of share some projects I'm working on that I'm excited about. One thing that's happened in this lockdown is that the, for the first time in many, many years, I'm super excited about entrepreneurship. And that doesn't mean, oh, uh, I'm all motivated or here's how to be more motivated or here's the study. Here's what the brain of an entrepreneur is like. It's just that I'm really interested in business models that could work in today's environment. It's really become kind of almost an obsession for me lately. Here's what I do. I, I wake up as early as possible. It used to be much earlier, but now I would say I wake up around 6.30 or 7 a.m. when I don't stay up too late. Sometimes I stay up late watching TV. I love TV. And then, you know, after morning stuff, the first kind of work-related activity I do is I read. I always make sure I start off reading. If you wake up early enough, there's no other distractions. Like I don't, I don't check my email. I haven't yet checked my email. I haven't checked social media. I haven't checked the news. I haven't checked anything at all. My mind is clear, I'm excited for the day. I want to learn something. I'll sometimes, you know, have my notebook with me so I can either take notes or start writing down ideas. This morning, I started off, I read, uh, this guy recommended to me this political philosopher, John Rawls, R-A-W-L-S. So I bought a book called Political Liberalism, but it's not liberalism in the traditional sense. What this guy is trying to do is figure out a political system that works. So if you have any one philosophy, it's sort of a, a political philosophy or a religious philosophy. And if you want to lead your country or the world with that political philosophy, it's sort of a guarantee that many people will not be happy. Like if I say, oh, we're going to have a, uh, a country that's ruled by just extreme libertarianism, some people will be happy, some people won't. If I say we're going to run a country the way Protestants would suggest running the country, some people will be happy, some people won't. And so political liberalism is about how you listen to a wide variety of people from all different philosophies and work on coming up with a consensus about how to rule. Some people could be socialists, some people could be capitalists, some people could be religious conservatives, some people could be libertarians. Everybody has their own issues that are important to them. Some people it's, you know, pro-life versus pro-choice. Other people it's gun control. Other people it's no taxes. Other people it's tariffs or immigration. So he, this guy, John Rawls, in this book, Political Liberalism, basically tries to determine a set of rules for what are reasonable philosophies. So for instance, if your philosophy is to murder everybody, that's not a reasonable philosophy. So what are a reasonable set of rights that are broad enough that it, it's, it fits many, many different philosophies under it? And then how do you determine what is the best way to come to a consensus? And it doesn't necessarily mean democracy. It doesn't necessarily mean consensus. 
He explores all sorts of different ways. And it's just interesting, given politically how polarized the world is now, I kind of wanted to get a deeper philosophical understanding of what political philosophy is, as opposed to just, hey, I like this candidate, or I like this candidate, or I feel like this guy's a nice guy, or I feel like this guy's a jerk. So I wanted to go a little bit beyond what the newspapers are giving us and really understand how to think a little deeper politically, something I've never done before. Previously with politics, I'm always really interested in the game theory aspect of it. Like what's Joe Biden's strategy for winning? What's Donald Trump's strategy for winning? And this time I just wanted to explore a little deeper. Then I, I read fiction. I always read quality fiction because that's how I become a better writer is by studying the greats. Well, you could say, well, if you read nonfiction, can you get it, be a better writer that way? No, nonfiction writers, not all of them. Just want to repeat that. Brian Keating, if you're listening, you're a good writer. I love losing the Nobel. I'm not talking about you. I'm actually, I'm talking about John Rawls. This guy, this political philosopher is the most boring writer in on the planet. I mean, here's an example sentence. I'll just read a random one. A basic feature of a well-ordered political society is that there is a public understanding not only about the kinds of claims it is appropriate for citizens to make when questions of political justice arise, but also a public understanding, blah, blah, blah. See, it's boring. So this guy, John Rawls, he has spent his whole life studying political philosophy, not writing. So fiction writers have spent their whole lives studying writing and storytelling. And so I love to read a good writer. So I'm reading this collection of short stories by Amy Hempel, The Collected Stories. And I've read this, I first read Amy Hempel's stories in 19, 1994, when an English professor recommended this book to me. But then uh, Chuck Palahniuk, I don't know how to say his last name, when he was on my podcast, he's the author of Fight Club. When he and I were talking, he recommended it again. So I picked up the book and I've been reading it again. And so here's the first sentence in a short story. I'll tell this is why I like her. Here's the first sentence in a short story called The Center. For the price of a cup of coffee a day, my friend Deborah adopted a child. I just opened to this story randomly and I love that first sentence. I'll read it again. For the price of a cup of coffee a day, my friend Deborah adopted a child. So the first part of that sentence says, for the price of a cup of a coffee a day. She doesn't say for 35 cents a day. If she had just said for a dollar a day, if she had just said that, it would be a little less interesting, a little less provocative. This is more visual. It's sensual. It's you smell it, you taste it, you, you can see it as opposed to just like, you know, measuring something, oh, a dollar. And then she says, my friend Deborah adopted a child. Well, did she adopt a child? No, you realize at the end of that sentence, it's like one of those, you know, oh, for a dollar a day, you know, a child in Africa could could get fed or go to school or whatever. So in that one sentence, you start to get layers of a story. And that's why a great writer is a great writer. So anyway, why do I discuss this on a day in the life of an entrepreneur? Because a key skill for entrepreneurship is being able to tell a story. And so understanding how to tell a story, understanding how to communicate and getting better and better at it. And by the way, you never get great at it. You always just get better at it. You don't say I'm a great writer or I'm a bad writer. You say I am getting better at it. And that's what I like to be able to say every day. So then I wrote, and I'll talk about more about what I wrote yesterday. I wrote an article on why I think New York City is in big trouble. I posted this article on Facebook last night and it is by far the article with the most engagement I've ever had. Probably because a lot of people are considering moving out of New York City. New York City is pretty scary right now. Nobody's at work. There's a lot more violence. There's a lot more crime. The police don't seem to be around. And this, I'm not saying this to complain about New York. I wrote this article though, that basically explained from a variety of levels why New York City is in more trouble than people think. But it all added up to two things. One is expenses are going up in New York. 
obviously, because of the pandemic, and revenue is going down. That's bad for a business. It's bad for a human. It's bad for a city. So if all of your businesses are leaving the city, you're going to get less taxes, which is never good when your expenses are going up. The other thing is people say, well, okay, this has happened before. Businesses will come back. Oh yeah. Well, what about if they don't come back? And here's the one thing that's different between now and every other crisis in New York City's history. And I say New York City specifically because it's considered the financial capital of the world. So it's important for businesses to return to New York City. So here's the thing that's different. Bandwidth. After 2008, all the businesses eventually flourished. After 9-11, all the businesses came back and flourished in New York City. What is different now? Well, in 2008, the average internet speed was about three megabits per second. That is not enough to do good, high-quality, consistent video. You couldn't do video phone calls then. It was too difficult. People would always like fade out. Now, the average internet speed is about 20 to 30 megabits per second. Good enough for high-quality video. Now, everybody I speak to, and I'm saying, how are you doing not being in the office? Like my book editor or like my friends who work in banking or my friends who are entrepreneurs or my friends who, you know, are writers. They're all just, hey, we're doing Zoom meetings. We're, we're so much more productive not having to commute. Some people like going to an office, but most people really don't like going to an office. Who likes going to an office and hanging out with a bunch of people that they're not really, you're not really friends with the people in the cubicles next to you. I mean, you might be temporarily, but think about it. If you ask yourself, am I going to go to Jack's funeral when he dies and Jack's the guy in the cubicle next to me? Am I going to go to Susan's funeral? Susan was the woman in the cubicle next to me when I worked in a cubicle. And the answer is no, I am not going to go to Susan's funeral. Like she might even be dead right now. And I have no idea, but we were friends then when we were cubicle mates. And you know, if I could have worked at home, I would have, believe me, she was talking on the phone all day long. I couldn't stand it. So ugh, enough of that rant. But uh, the increase in bandwidth means companies don't have to go back to work. Well, what if they want to go back to work? Well, there's other issues. We have a pandemic. So are there liability issues? Again, companies might say, uh, we rather than deal with the liability issues of having everybody back in the office, better to just stay remote. And I talked about in this article that I wrote yesterday, I talked about how universities are going mostly remote, which leads to another problem of students don't have to move back to New York City, so a lot of apartments will be vacant. Well, today, the day after I wrote that article, Columbia University, which was going to have all the students back, they just announced no on-campus learning for a semester. It's going to be all remote. But as compensation, we'll give 10% discount on tuition. Are you kidding me? Temp, who, what are you going to, it's 70,000 a year to go to Columbia. To, that 10%. So instead of having the full dormitory on campus situation, you know, a kid is going to have to stay at home all day long and go to these remote classes and not make friends and not, you know, I, I thought the whole idea is that the campus experience is, is worth the tuition when you meet the professors and you meet and debate the other students and you network and so on. That's, that's, that's 80% of college, I thought. Well, I guess not. And it just underlines what I was saying about New York and it's underlined what I've been saying for 15 years about colleges. But that's what I wrote yesterday. The reason I mentioned yesterday is because today I've been doing more responding to comments on this article. This article was so popular that I've responded to hundreds of comments and I kind of, it's not really writing, but I chalked it up to that anyway. And there's some other writing projects that I've done today as well, which I'll get to in a second. Now I'm involved in lots of different businesses. I'm involved in a newsletter business. So in my, I have a bunch of different newsletters. Some are free, some are subscription where I talk about business ideas. I talk about stocks. I talk about investing. This is a very small part of my entrepreneurial life, but I brainstormed some ideas for 
future newsletter issues, I, I think to myself, well, what do I think are great investment trends that I want to start studying and looking into? And I kind of want to look at, you know, what are going to be the interesting 6G stocks that are out there? Are there any micro cap? You know, we, you heard of 4G, that's what's on your phones now. You heard of 5G, that's what's coming. But what you always want to look ahead. You always want to, what's that Wayne Gretzky quote? He's the hockey player. Skate to where the puck is going, not to where the puck is. So the puck in investing is going to 6G stocks instead of 5G. So what, what what's on the horizon? I, I want to look at that. And uh, I also took a look earlier today at the financials of the first half. We did our first half audit. I looked at, took a look at the financials. I had some questions. It was, it was a good first half so far, but we'll see. And then I'm involved in uh, a little business called a podcast. So this podcast, it's a team of about four or five, six of us, uh, a bunch of us. A lot of work goes into making this podcast. And we also try to, you know, the podcast makes money through sponsors and advertisers. And I'm not, I'm not going to say this is a great business. I don't think anyone should start a single podcast and say, oh, I'm going to make a ton of money with this. But the podcast makes enough revenues to pay for you know, the equipment and the people working with it and, and so on. So I have to treat it like a legit business. I have to keep track of the inflows and the outflows of money, but I also have to reach out and find guests that interest me. So, and a lot of times people reach out to me and I have to, I'm really bad at follow-up, but I have to just remind myself. You know, I, it used to be the case in prior businesses, like that first, my first business reset in the nineties, I would hire somebody just to follow up for me. But now I'm trying to get better at follow-up. For instance, Paris Hilton has a documentary coming out about her in September. And so her publicity team reached out to me and asked if Paris Hilton could come on the James Altucher show. And so, of course, I wrote back, yes. And then I just followed up with them today and, and to try to narrow down a date. Another person I reached out to... I, I saw that Sam Harris has a book coming out in a few weeks. Sam Harris has been on the podcast twice before. I'm, I think he's a super smart guy. I love his books. And it's been really fun uh, when he's come on the podcast. In fact, the last time he was on the podcast, uh, I invited a couple people to come to the, the podcast. One person was snoring during the podcast, so I kind of wanted to uh, make it up to Sam a little bit. So I promised nobody would be snoring. And I reached out to him and he responded right away, said he would love to come on the podcast. So we booked a day and that was great. The next thing is writing related. So there is this, how do I describe? Let's say an African-American leader who I think had done a radio interview recently that I was excited to listen to. And it made me think of an idea for a book he could write. So a few weeks ago, I just... It was my idealist of the day. I wrote an outline for this person I barely knew and uh, pitched a book idea to him. I said, you should do this idea. I, 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 it had 10 chapters. I, I'm not going to describe the book exactly because it's, it's his idea and I, I want him, I think it would be great for him to do it. And it's kind of based on the interview that I was listening to. And I, I did like a, a fair amount of research to do this initial outline. This was a few weeks ago. I, I did this outline. It took about a day. And... I pitched this idea to him that he should do this. And he wrote back right away, great idea. And he's doing the book. And he had some more questions for me about my outline. And so that was essentially my idea list for the day was kind of fleshing out this outline uh, a bit more and how he could structure it. And I had some ideas for the audio book. So we had been emailing back and forth. So that was kind of, you know, once I finish my reading and my writing for the day and some business stuff, I always try to, at some point closer to noon, make my idea list of the day. And that was, that was that. But I did two idea lists because then I decided I want to do a new project. And this is where I'm starting to bite off more than I could chew. But, you know, I always like to have a bunch of projects in the air and then we'll see which ones I'll do. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life 
so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over a hundred or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period. And I loved it. I love, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100-plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still, to this day, get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be... VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever. So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like, I'd rather do anything then go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? <laughs> Yes, I definitely gonna use him from now. Not on. that you need it. You're you're young and healthy, James. I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at Hims dot com slash James. Could you imagine that there's a whole section just with my name on it? Hims.com slash James. That's how I 
how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash James for your personalized treatment options. Hymns dot com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. A lot of people ask me, when are we going to, they ask these questions. When are we going to get back to normal? When are we going to get back to a new normal? And what does a new normal look like? Back in March, I said, this pandemic is going to peak on April 15th, which is true. That was the high point for both New York and the U.S. was around April 15th. And then I thought it would be gone about two or three months later. It's not gone. It's kind of leveling off, but it's been doing that for much longer than I thought. I do think it's basically gone in many states, including New York, but of course, some states are flaring up. And back then, there was a new normal where, okay, remote is going to be important. AI, automation, and those things are still going to be important. But it's not going to be a new normal anymore. That period has long gone. Like right now, we're in what I call the great reset, which is that the economy is not up or down. The economy is is unrecognizable. The, the U.S. economy has essentially tilted and money is, it's like a, it's like a pail of water that has tilted over and the water is spilling everywhere at, with no consequences. So basically the, a, a pail of trillions of dollars of money that Congress and the Federal Reserve have printed up and dropped on the American economy, no one really knows where that money has been going. Some of that has been going into the stock market. But a lot of it's just going into random spots in the U.S. economy. I think what's happening is there's no up or down anymore. It's going to be a total reset. Some industries that you wouldn't expect are going to start to flourish. Some are going to disappear. Some cities are going to, there's going to be an an exodus. People are going to leave all the major first tier cities like New York City. If you live in New York City, you're paying 16.7% higher more taxes than you would pay in Miami. Like let's say in Miami, your federal tax rate was 30%. That means in New York City, you're probably paying up to 47%. With everybody going remote, there's no reason to do that. So LA, San Francisco, Chicago, New York City, all of these cities are getting more violent. The the benefits of living there are going away. Uh, the taxes are high. And by the way, I'm happy to be wrong on this. So I don't, I don't care if I'm if I'm right or wrong. I'm I'm trying to just like all of us, I'm trying to figure it out. But the benefits of of you know having my podcast is that I'm able to talk to a lot of people from a lot of different areas of life and and really ask these questions and hopefully filter them and curate them so that I can make a good guess. Nobody could predict, but I'm trying to make as good a guess as possible and express my reasons why. Now, of course, some people will say, oh, this guy is just a dumb idiot. But what what I decided, though, was this idea of a great reset is kind of an interesting book idea. While everybody's still trying to figure out this election, while everybody's still trying to figure out the new normal, there's a lot of things, a lot of issues in this great reset period, I'm convinced that we're going to look back and call this period between 2020 and 2030, the great reset, just like there was the great depression, of course, was from 1929 to 1940. Then we had the great inflation in the seventies when, uh, you know, we had stagflation. It was a a bad economy, but combined with inflation and it lasted for a decade. Then we had the great recession in 2000, Eight, maybe you can call it the great bubble in 1999 to 2001. And now we're going to go through the great reset. So I spent some time outlining this book. And now why would I do that? I already have just told you. So, so a, I have a book I'm still, I'm not really working on it anymore. I submitted it. It's coming out in February. It's called skip the line. You could pre-order on Amazon you want. And it's about how in this period, a lot of people are going to switch passions, switch careers. And in order to make money with a new passion, 
there's all these things like the 10,000 hour rule. It's just all this BS about how you have to spend 10,000 hours to get good at something. And I've been struggling with this 10,000 hour rule for so long. And I realized, you know what? Whenever I get good at something, it's not about how many hours I spend. It's about how many experiments I try for myself. It's about how many questions I ask and then test out and then go back to the drawing board. Oh, I learned this from testing that out, doing this experiment. Here's another question. Here's another question. Here's another experiment. And that's how I can quickly skip the line. And there's all sorts of other stuff I talk about in this book, but that's that's part of the idea. So anyway, I've, that book's coming out in February. There's only kind of grammar corrections in that now. But as an entrepreneur, why is this imp important as an entrepreneur for me to be a writer? It's because I love writing. I don't really make that much money at writing. I did get a decent advance for the skip the line. So I outlined this new book idea, The Great Reset. And part of the reason is, is I love writing. I don't know if I'm going to do this book. I just outlined it. I don't know if I'll do it. I don't know if I'll self-publish it. I don't know if I'll publish it with a regular publisher. But part of the reason I think about these things is that I like to, I, I, I feel part of my overall business plan. And this is an important thing, what I'm about to say. There's a difference between finite games and infinite games. So chess is a finite game. You play it and within an hour or so, one person checkmates the other person, the game's over and you play again. But if I was to say my game is to be the best chess player I can be, that's an infinite game. So now I might try to improve my score. The way I measure my success at that game is how I rank versus all of my peers. So I try to keep getting better and better at chess and I try to keep, I keep playing my, the, the, my usual opponents and try to get better and better against them. And sometimes I'll play new opponents. Sometimes I'll get a mentor or a teacher. And, and the idea is with entrepreneurship, too many people go into entrepreneurship thinking it's a finite game. Like, oh, I'm going to make this one idea. I'm going to sell it and I'm going to be rich and then I'm going to retire to Hawaii. And you know what? That's fine for some people. I did a podcast a few weeks ago with Bill Perkins, author of Die With Zero. He was trader for a few years and now he's retired. While I was doing the podcast with him, he was on a yacht in Croatia. He's just enjoying life now and good for him. He, he worked hard. He did it. He played a finite game with money and now he's trying to play an infinite game with his contentment in life. And I appreciate that. For me, writing is mixed with entrepreneurship, is mixed with my pleasure in life, and it's an infinite game. When I write, I want to say something incredibly original and unique, not because I'm trying to be contrarian, but I wanna say what I mean, and I'm only gonna write about things that are important to me, but there's no use writing something that's already been written. I wanna be known as a good writer, an, an original thinker, and and then that attracts more people to read my stuff, listen to my podcast, and participate in as a customer maybe uh, in businesses that I start or or other things that I do. Let's say if I do a, a TV show or a video or whatever. So anyway, I call this book the Great Reset, and I outline it. I'll just read you some of the chapters. This is not your grandpa's new normal. And I say, we're never going back to anything remotely resembling normal. And then the next chapter is history of the greats, the great depression, the great inflation, the great recession, the great reset. And then I have the next chapter is Marxism versus socialism versus capitalism. And what are we? And then the next chapter after that in this outline is opportunities, 10 specific opportunities that people will have in the great reset. Uh, and then I go on and on and on. And I talk about What's Obamaism versus Trumpism versus AOCism versus Yangism? And then I talk about the two skills you need to have in the Great Reset. I talk about, is it going to be a dystopia or a utopia? I'll talk about the technology you have to know. Talk about worst case scenario versus best case scenario. And then I conclude with, and now what should the reader do? I have some more chapters. I didn't read all of them, but that's the basic idea. I sent it off to my agent and... We'll see if she responds. She might never respond. She might hate the idea. We will see. So that was the Great Reset book. Already, I, I'm starting to bite off more than I could chew. I'm getting a little tense. I'm not able to follow up with everybody I want to follow up with. 
So now the next thing I did was, is I am starting a new company. So again, as everybody listening to this knows, obviously I have a podcast. I've done 620 of these podcasts. I also had another podcast a few years ago called Ask Altature, where I did about, I don't know, 100 episodes, 150 episodes. I had another podcast that I did with Stephen Dubner, who co-wrote Freakonomics. It was called Question of the Day. I did about 100 episodes of that. And I've probably been on about five or 600 people's podcasts as a guest. So I've been, it's like 1,500 podcasts roughly. So I know a lot about podcasting. It's like the one area where I feel I don't know everything, but there are some things I know very well. Like for instance, I know what software I need and what I need in that software to do a podcast. Like a lot of podcasters use Zoom. Some podcasters use uh, Squadcast. Some podcasters use CleanFeed. None of this software is good enough. And so I'm creating podcast software that solves some very basic problems that all podcasters have. And there's no podcasting platform that solves it. The, the, the alpha version of my software is done. And so I'll, I'll describe it in a second, but I'll describe it right now. So Zoom, uh, when you use Zoom, one person does the recording and they, that person who's doing the recording is recording the video and the audio. And sometimes because, because he's, you might have a bad internet connection, but if you're not recording and he's recording, or she, he'll get bad audio from you. And if your internet connection is bad, he'll get bad video from you. Squadcast, the software that I usually use, they came up with this ingenious idea. And I think others have used the idea as well, like Zencaster, but they came up with this idea. Let's record the audio on both sides. And while the two guests are talking, it uploads to whoever's recording it. And so you get perfect audio because I'm recording on my side, you're recording on your side, we're both uploading to the audio engineer and boom, uh, great audio. But Squadcast doesn't have video. So I'm making a software, it's called Xcaster, that's gonna have audio, video, we're gonna actually have, we're gonna have virtual reality, we're gonna have better chat, we're, gonna, we're, we're making so many improvements to the basic podcasting software. It's gonna be, I, it's gonna be like, much more powerful than anything out there. And so earlier today, I was able to test the first pre-release version. It's not the first, actually, it's like about the second or third, but it's the version where I'm starting to see all the functionality. And it was looking great, almost too good. I was a little suspicious how, how good it looked because the video looked really excellent. But We'll see. There's still more things we're going to do. And uh, hopefully in the next couple of days, I'll be able to release a, a real beta version to people. I'm super excited about this. And by the way, I'm not excited about this. Again, this is finite games versus infinite games. Finite game, I would think to myself, gosh, I hope I could release this and then sell it as quickly as possible. But I actually, my motivation here was I really just wanted to make software that I would use. Like I need my podcast to be the highest possible quality. And there was no software out there that could help me. So this software Xcaster, I hope is that software and we'll, we'll see. I, we're so far so good. So we'll see. Then, um, had to deal with some family stuff midday family always comes first, got a random request from a reader. Uh, someone said they had started my book. Then they got busy, they got pregnant, they had a baby, and they had lent out the, my book, Choose Yourself, and the person never returned it. And she just wanted to know, me to know that she was buying my book again um, because now she's at home watching her baby and she wants to read it and she can't, doesn't have it. So I said, don't buy it. And with the help of Jay, who helps produce this podcast, he's listening right now, he's audio engineering this episode. With the help of Jay, we sent her three different books of mine, and I hope she enjoys them when she gets them. Then I brainstormed for another newsletter idea for my newsletter business it's, uh, called Death of the Salaried Employee and uh, how right now we're seeing the end of corporatism, the end of salaries. N Nassim Taleb, who wrote uh, Fooled by Randomness, The Black Swan, all, all these great books, he has famously said the three most addictive things in life are heroin, carbohydrates, and a stable salary. 
And he was right. One out of three people just got laid off from their salary at the beginning of this pandemic. So very prophetic of you, Nassim. And I really do think corporatism, which is not the same as capitalism, it's this belief that capitalism could be fulfilled if we're all loyal to corporations, which I don't believe. I think corporatism is dead. And what does that mean for us? So I was brainstorming what are all sorts of newsletter issues that could revolve around a newsletter like this? And what does it mean for politics? What does it mean for entrepreneurs? What does it mean for the media? And on and on and on. I don't know if that'll be a newsletter or not, but we'll see. Then I had to read ads. So, so this is, I don't always enjoy this. I want to make this more fun. I had to read ads for this. Po- You're going to hear ads during this podcast. I go over every ad and I approve every sponsor. Again, it's the only way that this podcast makes money. So I read a bunch of ads, including ads for a brand new sponsor, Amazon Alexa Smart Home, which I'm very excited about. In fact, I can't wait to get the smart home. I have Alexa, uh, which I talk to all day long, even in my sleep. Then did an experiment with the podcast. So I, I did a podcast with Brian Keating, who you've already heard on this podcast. He's a physicist. He wrote a book called Losing the Nobel. And he's a great physicist, should have won the Nobel Prize. And I pitched him this idea a few weeks ago. Let's do a podcast about 10 different ways the universe might have began. So like the Big Bang, or you know, maybe we're in the multiverse, maybe we're in a VR simulation, on and on. And he said, this is a great idea. Maybe we could even make a book out of it. So we did the first episode of that earlier today. I don't know when it'll be released, uh, but we only in two hours, we only got to two or three and it was fascinating. I loved it and I love doing the research for this. So more to come on that one. Then I had a call with, um, so I'm always trying to, I don't know everything about social media. For years, I loved Twitter and Facebook and Quora and that's it. But I also have a presence on LinkedIn I have a presence on Instagram, TikTok. I haven't done any dancing on TikTok, but maybe I will one day. I've been taking beatboxing classes, actually. Who knows? But I have, I have a bunch of different social media, and I just don't know what to do. And I want to do, I want to get my social media a little bit uh, more active because, you know, when I have a book coming out and I want to I be able to share this podcast on social media a little bit more, just being honest. So I called up VaynerMedia. I've temporarily hired Gary Vaynerchuk's company, VaynerMedia, to audit all my use of social media and and help me come up with some suggestions and best practices for improving my social media. So I had a call with them. It's very interesting. And they were just asking questions. They're in the fact-finding phase. And then at this point in the day, it's like the afternoon. I'm done with my reading, my writing, coming up with ideas, podcasting. So now what I do is like what I call basic business. So I'm involved as either uh, in an early investor or an entrepreneur and lots of different ideas. And so I see what I can do to help the businesses that I'm an investor in or an owner of or involved in or whatever. So I'm an investor in this law enforcement company, Rap Technologies, which if you haven't heard me talk about it before, it's a device that's like, it's like mobile handcuffs. It's like a non lethal, non-harmful weapon. It fires a steel cable out of the device, which wraps around you and very tightly. And if you struggle to get out, it gets tighter. I've been wrapped many times. It doesn't hurt at all, but it does immobilize you. And it's pretty cool. And so about two months ago, I saw Andrew Yang was tweeting about it. So Earlier today, I introduced this. I was a seed investor back in 2017. It's now a public company. And earlier today, I introduced this CEO of a company to Andrew Yang, who had been on my podcast. And I said to Andrew, I I always do permission networking. So I asked both sides first, can I make the introduction? So I introduced Andrew to the CEO via email. We'll see what happens. Probably nothing, but it never, you know, both sides said, okay. And that's what I do. Then, and I'm not very good at being a networker, but when I do do it, I try to be effective. Then I had a call with the comedy club, Stand Up New York, that I'm a part owner of, and we created a comedy course. And I wanted to see if I could do 
ad to advertise this comedy course on the podcast. It's a great course. So had a little call on that. I, I confirmed a podcast with John Mackey, who's the founder of Whole Foods. Very excited about that. And then I had dinner. And dinner is not usually business for me, but this time I had dinner with a, a great guy who's a, a sponsor for the podcast and an upcoming guest. I'll, I'll describe that at another time. And he has a very, very strong opinions about how people should pay down their debt and they're different than my opinions. I sort of feel like people should not always pay down debt. And sometimes you can easily get away with not paying down debt, but I appreciated where he was coming from. And we had dinner and it was good, good meeting someone and meeting a new friend. We had only met once before. And I liked that. After dinner, I told uh, Robin an idea I had. I said, you know, I was thinking about this when I was writing my outline for The Great Reset, which is that this period in our lives, there is a potential worst case scenario where it could turn into a very 1984-like situation. How about I write a novel called 2084? And she said, you better not tell anybody that because they might steal the idea. And I said, believe me, someone's probably already thought of this idea. But she said, you should work on that right away and just release that book as fast as you can. And I said, okay, I'll do it. But who knows? I'm starting to bite off more than I can chew. Because one thing I didn't get to today is I'm also buying some mobile apps that I think are pretty cool and that are very profitable. And I didn't have any time to work on that. I have to figure out how to manage a mobile app and how to do ads on a mobile app. I don't know. And then I have to figure out how to transfer a mobile app from these guys I'm buying it from. And then some people even want to invest in my idea of buying a bunch of mobile apps and combining them together. Sorry if I'm just like rambling about my day, but this is what I do. And I think, I think that idea, I don't have time to do. Like that's a full business. It requires a full-time person. I do not think I have the time to do that, even though I'm super excited about the idea. Then finally, I spoke to a guy who's been my investing partner since 1999. His name's Dan. And one of the companies we've been invested in since 2010, 10 years, finally there's an exit and we got a choice. We could either stay with, as an investor or we could get out. And my rule, even though I love the company, my rule is always, always get out when you're given the chance because you never know. And so it's a good, it, it wasn't a huge investment, but it is a good nine times return on our investment. So it's a 900% return in, in basically 10 years, which is okay. I'm not complaining. It's okay. It's, it's not bad. It's not great. It's, it's, it's not, I always expect a much greater return. I like to have for private investments that go for 10 years, I like to have something like a five or 6,000% investment or higher, but this is a 900% return and I'll, I'll take it. And then finally, right before Jay and I started this episode, cause I had, I said, Jay, it's the end of the day. Let's talk about a day in the life of an entrepreneur. Jay said, but first, can you write a description for tomorrow's episode? I did it. I said, Jay, you're such a taskmaster, slave driver. Why do you always get me do this BS stuff? But I did it and I liked the description. And then I said, Jay, I have this idea. I want to do a day in the life. I'm going to outline it for 10 minutes and then I'm going to call you back. We're going to do this podcast over our new software and then we're going to release it to, to the audience. So I hope you enjoyed this. Let me know if you like stuff like this. I'm, I won't do a day in the life, but I'll do other types of one-off ideas that I hope provide some insight and some value and hope you enjoyed it. Let me know either through Twitter or you could text me at 203-590-8607 if you want to suggest other topics or What's really helps me more than anything else is if you put a review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts because that drives me up in the algorithm and makes all my dreams come true in this infinite, what I hope is the infinite game of podcasting for me. I love doing this. I really love hearing from people and I really like to know I'm doing an okay job for everybody. So Thanks once again. This was a day in the life of an entrepreneur or someone trying to be again an entrepreneur. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks.
I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary.